0: In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for Sure come from Science Robotics Journal. I really find Science Robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles, where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks Science Robotics for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. Maybe first of all, I'd like to ask you, how would like to define yourself for people who meet the first time listening to you.
1: Okay, so I'm a bioacoustician, and I work here at the University of Bristol, and all the animals, all the animated life out there that produces sound is um, of interest to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. First of all, I found what you're doing is very interesting, and uh, maybe the the topic today about how we can design material that so- could be so- sound-absorbent, and you found that the most Would be inspiring, and maybe I would like to ask you because you have, I think, this experience in also consultancy for industry, and it's a topic is getting very interesting because it's related also to stealth technology in aircraft, and I think it's get more interesting here. But maybe before going to these details, for you, how you, as you say, work in sensory biology and understanding animals, how you understand this mechanism of the sound absorbing. I mean, do you think they depend on the the their morphology, architecture, the material? Can you have secrets behind in each creature? Because it's not only about the atmosphere, as as understood. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So maybe we start with the biology. So um, think of think of a hungry bat out there. It uses these ultrasonic calls called biosonar to find its prey, and and that's. That's a very strong evolutionary pressure. Many insects that are active at night have to find defenses for it. Many of them evolve ears to just fly away when they hear a bat. But we are studying insects that are deaf, they don't have ears, and they need defenses as well. So evolution has equipped them with a really neat defense, which in a very short version is an invisibility cloak. And that invisibility cloak has properties that far exceed anything that we can do to sound. So they found a trick that we don't know yet, or we didn't know because over the past few years, we have cracked the secret behind it. And the paper that we are talking about now presents some of that. And what we are working on at the moment is utilizing all the uh, ingenuity that is incorporated in these wings of moths that make them such fantastic sound absorbers to produce better sound absorbers that help us as humans reduce the noise in our lives.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So maybe I would like to ask you in the beginning uh, how the invisibility in the clocks were because I think that's something I know there's many researchers trying to. There was like two years, three years ago, but uh how the in evolution they can do that what's the trick to have invisible clock what's secret here
1: one thing that plays in the advantage of the moth is that biosona is not a very detail rich form of imaging so you could think of a biosona image of being very blurry and poor in detail probably no color but we are not so sure about that so that means it's a bit easier to create an invisibility cloak against biosonar than against vision. So the Harry Potter um, invisibility cloak where you completely disappear is a bit more challenging, but acoustically speaking, that's exactly what these moths are doing. So they are out there, they have this fantastic cloak, a thin layer of stuff on their wings and bodies, and that absorbs all the sound that the bats are producing. So they disappear from the bat's sonar they become invisible.
0: Mm-hmm. And maybe I want to ask you how the the morphology or the shape of the art, because I think that's lead to the question about, because you already do that, I mean, in the stealth technology and aircraft, and when it comes to the sound and how, what is significant here? I mean, the, their body or the architecture, the material, uh, I mean.
1: So the, the, the story is actually quite neat. So what what you need to do when you want to absorb sound is you have to have a certain thickness of the absorber material, uh, and and the thicker it is, the lower the frequencies are that you can absorb. Uh, the general rule of thumb is that you have to be about one tenth of the wavelength in so you can absorb it. That's a traditional absorber. That's what um, we use in our offices and homes. That what we use on, in cars. Um, so this is what we call standard porous absorption. So the sound enters a porous material and is turned into heat and is lost, so completely absorbed. But as I said, these need to be rather thick. Now the moth has the same problem. It doesn't want to reflect any sound like we wouldn't want in a car to keep it less noisy. Um, So what they have on their bodies is exactly this porous absorber. And this is this fur. So if you think of a moth, you immediately think of some fluffy, furry bodies with some wings attached. And that furry body is a normal, traditional porous absorber. It follows the same rules, does the same tricks that everything else. Now, it gets interesting when you think of the whole echo. So if you want to protect yourself from detection, it doesn't suffice to just protect your body. Because if your wings give off a strong echo, the, the insect, there, the bat would just find you by the echo of your wing. Um, So the the natural solution would be to protect your wings as well. But now imagine a moth that has like two, three millimeters of fur on their wings. They wouldn't be able to fly. It's just too heavy. It's not aerodynamically possible. So there was this immense pressure to find something that's much thinner and does the same job. And amazingly, these moths have uh, found a way to do this. And they do this based on this fine dust that comes off the wings of a butterfly or a moth when you touch it. So if you look at these, these are tiny, highly structured things called scales that cover the whole wing like the tiles on a roof, overlapping like a little forest of structures on there. And it's only a fraction of a millimeter thick, but it has the power to absorb all the sound that the bats throw at it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating. I think that's show the architecture and, I mean, the intelligence and design. Mm-hmm. Maybe before going to more details, I'm here to ask you since you're already in biology, biology. When you try to look for these creature, I mean, how it's hard for you to understand what's going on here. I mean, there's just some time it was quite challenging to figure out what's happening here, how they do this trick. Is something still mysterious for you How to the challenges, especially in your domain of field here?
1: So so when we we first had this idea, we didn't really know where it would take us. And the apparatus, one of the key apparatus is a a laser vibrometer. That is a a structure, an apparatus that uses light to measure vibrations of objects. So what we did is we we put a live moth in front of this laser vibrometer, then sent sound there. And then we saw that the whole structure was moving. So we we already had an idea that there must be some movement evolved. And what we then, when we investigated this more thoroughly and we we used an individual scale. So we removed all the scales, kept a single one. Then we found that these scales, they respond to the sound wavelengths. So think of the scale like a hand has a stalk where it is inserted in the wing and it has little fingers. And when the sound hits it at the right frequency, It will start to move. It will start to resonate. And that means that this frequency, the acoustic energy at that frequency is turned from sound energy into vibration energy. And that's all you need to absorb that frequency. The energy is gone. The energy is no longer available to create an echo. And that is a process called resonant absorption. Resonant absorption has the massive advantage that you can achieve it with much thinner structures. So not a 10th of the wavelengths, like in porous absorption, but 10 times better, a hundredth of the wavelength. And that is only possible through resonant absorption. And We were very excited when we saw that these scales are migrated there. We found that in 2018, but the real trick is resonant absorption works only at the frequency of resonance. So this scale only absorbs one frequency And that means for a bat, it's very easy to detect you. By the other frequencies that you're not absorbing. Now, if you're looking at a butterfly wing, all the scales are the same. They all absorb the same or most of them absorb the same frequency. So that's not a very good sound absorber. Actually, butterfly wings are crappy sound absorbers. They they, they reflect sounds very strongly. But what the moth had to do, it had to find differently sized scales. Each of you tuned to a different frequency and together they cover all the frequencies that the bat might want to use. And when we looked at it closely, we found that it actually qualifies as what we call a metamaterial. It's a bit of a mouthful, but the definition of a metamaterial is a structure, a material composed of many different sub elements, in our case scales. Each of these have a specific property, like uh, absorbing one frequency of sound. But when you put them together, the sum of their action is bigger than the sum of the contribution of the individual elements. So that's what we call an emergent property. You put them in the right orientation. And all of a sudden, new unexpected properties arise, very exotic properties. And that's exactly what this wing absorber is about. And that's what we want to use to build new sound absorber materials.
0: That was uh, fascinating and brilliant. I think you said many, many interesting points. I would like to stop here again. <laughs> Maybe b- before, yeah, because that's exactly what. So, <laughs> I'm so if you want, that's, wow.
1: yeah, yeah. if you prefer shorter sound bites, I can do that. I sort of I see you smiling and nodding encouragingly, so I keep going. <laughs> so no, I'm listening, I'm enjoying.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, it's okay. I'm I'm listening, but uh, yeah, I think it's what's very interesting. I because you you mentioned many many interesting points. Maybe the first thing because you mentioned the metamaterial, and I think the definition of metamaterial just make Sure, we understand here sometimes we design material doesn't have the exact. Proper, I mean, you create material with different properties from the nature. Do you mean he made the material as multi materials in the structure, like different materials with different properties? Can you elaborate this part maybe? Okay, the metamaterial. Yeah.
1: Here. So, yeah. I think so. Some people might mistake uh, a metamaterial that a metamaterial needs to be a composite. That is not true, so it doesn't need to be different materials that are combined into something. It could be just made out of one specific material, matter, Um, and the the functionality comes from the concept of it consisting of individual, you can call it units or unit cells, and each of them can have slightly different properties. But when you bring them together, that then has these emergent properties. yeah often metamaterials are composites but not necessarily
0: mm-hmm. great so you mentioned the butterfly is crappy here in here it comes sound absorber i think that's really a really good point about the sensitivity and accuracy to do that because you mentioned many interesting stuff the how they can orient the, the different parts and tune it to different frequency i think that's that's wild i mean that's crazy how, how they can do that to make sure It's accurate and sensitive. Maybe the first part here.
1: So I I, I can talk a bit about the mechanism. So if if these every every speck of this fine dust that comes off these wings, they can most of them are much smaller than a millimeter long and much narrower, but some of them can be a few millimeters long even. Each of these specks is produced by one single cell. So these are cells that are big. And what we see is the skeleton inside the cell. Um, and the cell has the potential to grow into many different shapes. So think of this as a layer of scales, cells, a cohort of cells, each of them able to produce one scale. And then the genetic programming turns some of them in long, thin, and hair-like scales, others in short and triangular scales. And with that, degree of flexibility you can then tune the resonance frequency which depends on the width and the math and the length um, you can tune the resonance frequency of that individual scale and in our prototyping that's exactly what we do and evolution has already done it well probably as early as 60 million years ago to a, uh, achieve that absorption
0: mm-hmm, great and when it comes to orientation you mentioned orienting what do you mean about orientation here their parts, different parts to create that invisibility.
1: Let's talk about the orientation of an individual scale, so think of any insect that flies has a transparent wing membrane, a butterfly has it as well, but the butterfly on top has these little hands that stick like the roof tiles and they're often angled and they're often curved Um, and they all point away from the body and the reason for that is that if you remember that moths and butterflies, they have a stage when they are tightly packed in a pupa. They're what we call holometabolous insects. So first they're caterpillar, then they turn into a pupa and then they emerge from it and they spread their wings. And this spreading of wings is actually a fantastic material uh, achievement because think of it that the layer of scales on a butterfly wing, it's a continuous layer but all, but before it was in its final form, all of these scales were packed tightly on top of each other as the wing was folded up and, and not expanded inside the pupa. It's only once the, 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 the freshly emerged butterfly or moth emerges, they pump their blood, their hemolymph into the wings, and that spreads the wings. And then it hardens in the final position. And that means somehow, Somewhere this stretching needs to happen. And it's only this, the transparent membrane that stretches, the scales stay the same. So having these scales end up in exactly the right spot and in the exact right overlap to achieve this, I think it's one of the biggest marvels of them all.
0: Mm, that's uh, great. I mean, that's something maybe can. of it. How they do that? I mean, the, the, the layers or multi-material structure I mean, it's it's so common in evolution to use this combination of building blocks here, but how they can do that? I mean, do you have explanation for that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so what you're asking is the origin of this. And uh, most, it's, yeah. So most, most insects don't have hairs on their wings. huh? Eh? the question is why have some insects hairs on their wings? It's not just the butterflies. And most there's some other smaller groups that most people will not know. Um, so why do they have this? They've had those for 100 million years. And that's far longer than any bats that have been around. So why did they evolve these hairs or scales on the wings? They look different, but the principle was the same. And I believe, and some of my colleagues would agree, that is a defense against spiders. So when you're a flying insect, you end up in a spider web. If you've got clear wings, the spider silk will stick to your wing and you won't escape. But if you've got these hairs, the silk will stick to the layer of hair. The, st- the hair are designed so that they break off easily. This is why we get the dust off when we touch them. So they break off and the butterfly can just fly on and all that is stuck to the to the spider web, is just a few individual scales. I think that was the evolutionary origin of this. And I think all the moths had it, for tens of millions of years before the first bets arrived. And then evolution did what it's very good at, and that is take something that is already there and give it an additional functionality. And in this case, it modified, gently, but without compromising its original function, it modified its elastic properties and turning it into this fantastic uh, sound absorber metasurface that we see today.
0: This is very really excellent point because I think what you mentioned here, uh, they, they don't want to trade, I mean, give up in their original things functionality and how you add something to do this trick without altering the overall. I think that's something in itself. Uh, it's not yeah, it's not easy. I mean, if you do you have other example like that in in sensor biology rather than most here to do this trick and still maintaining their main functionality. But you add something to do something without trading your original thing, because I think this is fascinating.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think this—it's a common principle. This—this this is what natural selection is extremely good at, like finding ways to improve things that nobody ever thought about. And and the good thing is about evolution: evolution doesn't worry about how complex what it's doing is mathematically. If there is a way, we'll do it. And this is why we find metamaterials in nature that. Are very difficult for us to understand theoretically because the math behind metamaterials is not trivial. But evolution doesn't care; it just plays around until it finds a solution, and it has in this case found a very remarkable one.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. So when we speak about the design, mm-hmm. um, and in the lab you observe what's happening, and there's any observation which is counterintuitive sometimes you can, it's complex. I mean, when you try to understand uh, the complexity of the, of the models of that, do you care about that? When you try before going to the, the part of real application or in stealth aircraft, for example, in this process, the models or scaling, is there any difference here when you scale the inspiration to something Use for example, stealth aircraft or mm-hmm. have an example no. here?
1: So, so having a, a a broadband resonator array as a metamaterial, that's a concept that we haven't used yet. And yes, we are working on designing sound absorbers based on that concept. And because it can be 10 times thinner, our our biggest hope is that we can develop something that people would accept as sound absorbing wallpaper. So we, we make it more acceptable for our use in our offices and, and homes. And as you know, sound, is the second biggest environmental stressor on human health. And the the economic cost of the UK, judged by the UK government, the economic cost of all the traffic accidents created by road traffic are less than the economic costs of the noise that this road traffic produces. And we are are talking billions of pounds every year. Um, So being able to do sound insulation more efficiently and with a lower acceptance threshold can really make a big difference to public health. And uh, you also asked about uh, stealth technology on fighter planes, of course.
0: The yeah, for example yeah. here.
1: So analogy is striking. Huh? So we've got fighter planes that are under attack by radar and we've got our moths that are under attack by sonar. Both of them are very phenomena. Actually, when you look at the scale and the size of structures compared to the wavelength used, um, we we might not be in a similar domain, because in in radar you've got very short wavelengths and really big structures, planes, while here we've got structures that are um, much closer to the object that is trying to manipulate the wave. But still, the basic principle that we found for this acoustic phenomenon can be translated into phenomena in other domains, like electromagnetics.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Maybe I want to ask you about the challenges when it comes to transforming bio-inspiration to something like you mentioned. Very, very crucial here. It is there still a limitation to ensure this high sensitivity and good quality in the material here? What is still challenging here is fabrication. What, what, that
1: thing? So. You clearly know uh, and your audience knows about technology readiness levels. So we are at the moment, we are talking about technology readiness level three or four. So we've got some way to go before we dish out some um, products. But our first prototypes are working. And the biggest challenges in designing them and making them better is, first of all, getting structures that are evolved in the ultrasonic frequency range. So that's above 20 kilohertz, above human hearing. Translated down into the audible frequency range. And that's below 20 kilohertz. That's where we are operating as humans. Um, So scaling it up was one challenge. And it isn't as simple as just printing the same structure bigger. So we had to find the fundamental principles, understand the mechanisms that determine functionality, and then scale the process rather than the structure. So that was the first challenge. And then the second challenge is. Making it broadband. So, in in order for for a sound absorber to be um, very efficient, you want it to cover all the different frequencies, all the different wavelengths that constitute your sound. And in echolocation, bats echolocate from 20 to we say up to 160 kilohertz, but some bats go higher, but very few. So, so we found that this mechanism works. It, 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 uh, logical, the evolved mechanism works over all the frequencies that bats are using. So from 20 to 160, and it works equally well, which is remarkable. Uh, if we translate that down, that sort of, what is that three octaves um, operation bandwidth, if we translate that down, three octaves sounds a lot, but once you're getting to really low frequencies, three octaves doesn't give you that many Hertz, simply because wavelengths and um, frequency relate to each other. So that's a big challenge. We need to we actually need to get better than what the Moth is doing by increasing the bandwidth even further. And that's our second big challenge at the moment. Mm-hmm. Great.
0: So um, thank you for your question, Lifta. I want to ask you, when you try to look for the creature that do these tricks, how you manage to find them? I mean, do you think you know everything? I mean, the real, all creature, what they're doing, the secrets of what they're doing. Or there's still a lot of things it's not revealed yet. I mean, other creature.
1: Obviously, we are only scratching the surface here. I, I think what we are talking about, uh, as a biologist, I would call it a field or a subfield of acoustic camouflage, like visual camouflage. And there are so many different fields and aspects and tricks that we find in how animals camouflage themselves. And I don't think for a second that Nature has been less ingenious in finding defenses in acoustic camouflage. And now we are finding an acoustic cloak. I don't know what we'll find next year. So there might be uh, disruptive coloration. There might be all sorts of equivalents with, with established um, visual camouflage that we'll discover. And we have only studied a tiny fraction of all the moths and butterfly species that are out there. Uh, and every one of them we look at has something amazing to offer. So I, I think we're, we're standing at the start of many years of exciting discoveries.
0: Mm-hmm, great. Maybe in that, um, in the research. I mean, in general, because also you have been working on bats. I think there's all interesting stuff about them. But there's something was surprising, very exciting. That wow, I didn't know they do this. Uh, of course, what you mentioned is a really very interesting and fascinating. But they have this moment of just excitement when you discovered just something.
1: Well I can tell you about a paper we published just at the end of last year. So we we looked at a a set of moths including the largest moth on the planet. So let's talk about that for a moment. It's an atlas moth, that's the name and it's it's big. And for many years when you looked at it researchers have said that the wingtip of the forewing, it's a bit of a, a, a big extended lobe which looks odd and it has an eye on it, it has a bit of a mouth on it And people have always said it looks like a snake's head. So it has been called a a, a visual defense against birds. So the bird sees this moth, flies closer, and all of a sudden, oh, wow, there's a snake staring at me, and they fly off. And that is exactly what what evolution does. By the way, when we take a picture of this structure and put it on on, on an internet image search, it often comes up with the faces of, of lizards and snakes as likely similar. So even our neuronal uh, artificial intelligence classifiers of images uh, make that same mistake. So I think there might be some truth to it, but we are not interested in visual camouflage, but what we did is we looked at the echoes coming off these lobes and we found something remarkable. So I've just told you earlier that the whole body of the moth is protected, doesn't produce a lot of echo, but these Atlas moths, they're so big, what they've done is they've modified this snake's head into an acoustic target, like a decoy target. So this wing lobe produces the strongest echo of the whole moth by far. And that means on the sonar of an attacking bat, the bat wouldn't see the body, it wouldn't see the wing, it would only see these wing lobes. So it would probably perceive this whole big moth as two small moths flying at a tandem flight. And The effect of that is that the bat would attack where the echo is coming from, that's the wingtip, and that means it's perfect protection for the moth, because as long as it doesn't hit the body by accident, um, that moth can have as many bat attacks to its wingtips as it wants. So it's a beautiful example where one principle, the invisibility cloak, protects you, but then you also do some tricks. You try to deceive your predator by giving him some false cues as well. And that was
0: wow. That's <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. This reminds me of the aircraft when they have the white uh bar on the and the engine for the bird. And this is to see that. Wow.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, many many military aircraft do that, of course. So there is some tow tow decoys in digital warfare, but they also often send anti anti radar chaff, these little aluminum shapes, uh, to expose and and, and misguide radar guided. uh to yeah. air rockets for example so and that is the perfect analogy um to what these yeah. what these MOSS are doing
0: that's fascinating yeah maybe i would like to ask you um what are the next things you're looking for i mean in this i feel it's very interesting to learn about these things and uh, get an inspiration but what is your aspiration when it comes to what you're doing your goal your vision for that
1: yeah so uh, So my interests are are twofold. First of all, we now know that these amazing things exist. So we want to turn it into something that is useful for us as humans. So if we can can achieve the same aims with a tenth of the investment, that is good for everybody. Uh, So we we use less resources, we need less to build it. So that is is a big driver, making uh, nature help us uh, be a bit more sustainable. But then, on the other hand, as a biologist, not as uh, with my entrepreneur head on, uh, as a biologist, I just I'm just going to be continue to be amazed and, and just super curious into what inventions nature still has on offer for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. I mean, when you try to look for this all example in nature, what kind of truth for you? Because we are a human, and sometimes you mention something very. At yeah, yeah, just helping people, and I think that's something very crucial. But what kind of truths? When you try to look and just understanding the reality of these things, and do you wonder about this thing? Is the reality of this creature, and how other things? Maybe we don't know what kind of thoughts, the truths that you wish to reach. I don't know if you get what I mean.
1: So, uh, I think in a a first level, I've tried for twenty years to understand what a world that you perceive by biosona might look like. So basically I want to put my bat goggles on. So close my eyes and see the world by sound. And of course, we humans, we are really crap at this. We are not completely hopeless. We can do a few things, but just perceiving the world with sound, being able to do this, this has been a a lifelong ambition. I don't think I'll, I'll be able to solve it. But what we have built is something called an acoustic tomograph where we can put any object flower, a moth, a leaf, into an apparatus, and measure echoes with ultrasounds, with signals that pretty much resemble what a bat signal and then we measure them from thousands of directions, and then we can reconstruct a three-dimensional image of where the sounds is coming from, and which sounds are coming from each body part. This is, by the way, how we detected these wingtip decoys on the large atlas moth. So we took an acoustic and we found that this is where the echo energy is coming from. That to, to me, this is an ambition, trying to perceive better what the acoustic world is. And that will then allow me to understand how other organisms have responded to this perception of the world, like insects that don't want to be found. And I've just mentioned flowers. There are many flowers out there that want to be found by bats because bats are their pollinators so they offer bats nectar in exchange for pollination services. But while most flowers just use colour to attract bees or birds, at night you need to use echoes to attract the echolocating bats. And that's another use that we have where we we try to get acoustic images of plants. Mm-hmm.
0: Great, right. maybe a quick question. I'm um, curious ask you, in the most examples you mentioned, if there's damage happening for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know, maybe it happened, how do they have this redundancy? They don't leave the feature of invisibility. Is this a case here or not?
1: So, so the, uh, many insects can shed their skin, uh, and as they grow, moths can't do this. Once a moth is a moth, it can't change anymore. Once a moth has lost some scales on the wing or some part of the wing, like the wingtip, it cannot regrow it. So that means sometimes you see a butterfly that looks really torn and old and maybe a bit bleached, the colors are faded. This is just because they're old and they can't repair their wings. Um, So that means, how, how can it be that that structure that they have on their wings, if it is perishable, how does it still offer protection? And the one important thing to keep in mind is that the moths that we study, these really large moths, they only live for a week, maybe two. So they don't have many flight nights in them at all. So if they have two wingtips and each of them offers them only one protection event from a better tech, I think there's many more, but even just one of them gives them two extra lives, which they can use in these two weeks of their lifespan, maximum two weeks. So I think it is, yes, it's not persistent, it's delicate, but it offers them something that's worth their while.
0: Amazing. I don't know if you have advice you'd like to offer or share when it comes to you, because it's it's very interesting when you go for something unknown and you try to understand something quite, yeah, it's just not, we don't have an answer for, for what is happening. But can you hear advice about when it comes to research and, and answering question in general, this curiosity, I can feel it. so. Can you show advice or something very important maybe given to you and from someone has stick to
1: your mind? So uh, you, you mentioned the important word there. Huh? You just mentioned curiosity. So if, if you're not curious about your subject, I don't think you'll go very far. So you, you have to feed your enthusiasm. You have to feed your curiosity to stay interested. And that's what I tell every student. I, I, when I advise students which subjects to choose, I, I always tell them to go for the stuff that they feel for most. Because that's what will keep them enthused and that's where they'll be thriving. So that's one thing, and curiosity is one. Uh, and then the other thing is keep looking, don't give up, because it has taken us six years to get to the point where we are. And it was not hard, it was very hard to get the funding um, to continue this, uh, but you have to be persistent. And the beauty is in, in biology. If you can think of a physical mechanism, we're talking sensory biology where, where evolution hits the framework, the constraints set by physics, the laws of physics shaping these organisms. If you can think of something that works from the physics domain, I'm an adaptationist. I'm convinced that somewhere, some organism is using that trick. So it's worth thinking about some theoretical ideas and then starting to digging. Find find the right organism that might have found a solution to that problem, and I yet have to find an example where that didn't work.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. maybe I I think the last last question that, when you look for insect, eye, how the brain and the body connected? do you see the brain of the insect? They have I don't know they don't have a brain, but their flexes here, how hmm? this decision?
1: Yeah, so they so every insect has nerve cells, so they have a a central nervous system so there's an aggregation of cells in the in their in their head but they've got decentralized computing along their body in their nervous system um, now how much they're aware of the fantastic features that they that adorn their surfaces I think there is very little there and also uh, they they just wear this and it does its job without the moth even knowing that it is protected. Well, very much like us. So so when we go out in the sun, our skin just knows how to grow pigment to protect us better. We don't have to tell our skin to do it. We don't have to think about it. It just happens. And the same is true there with this moth. The moth just is born with this protection and it does its job.
0: Wonderful. I don't know if you have any final words like to say Google listening. <laughs> any final words you like to say? Yeah.
1: Oh god. Well, stay curious and stay enthused.